Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today I have the great pleasure to be joined by Marlene Rudal, Rydal. Uh, she's joining me from Paris by Skype. Hello. Hi. So we have um, the chance now to talk with uh, Marlene about her new book, or actually the English translation of her book, Happy as a Dane, that will come out shortly. But she published um, the French version in 2014. She's also the Goodwill Ambassador for the city of Copenhagen. Um, and before that, she worked in executive corporate communication um, until now when she became a writer and a keynote speaker and executive coach. And um, I got to um, hear about Malin when she was asked by the OECD Secretary General to present this book for the OECD because some of our listeners may already know that the OECD has this Better Life Index that is measuring subjective well-being and of course Denmark is number one on this list for work-life balance. It's on the top for social connections, um, civic engagement, the quality of environment and according to the UN World Happiness Report, Denmark ranks number one in a couple of consecutive years also in 2016. So very excited to be speaking to you Malin um, about your take on happiness and also about your book. So may I ask you to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, your journey, your career, and what led you to writing the book Happy as a Dane? Thank you, Anes. It's, um, it's a pleasure to, to, um, to be here and uh, to share my story and um, to get the opportunity to, um, to connect, hopefully, with some of the listeners. Um, well, my story really is that um, I, when I was a little girl, I had um, a couple of dreams. My, my first dream when I was about nine years old was to um, become the ambassador, an ambassador of Denmark. Uh, so I told my parents and, and they said, oh, well, you know, that's a, that's a nice dream. And, but if you do that, then it means you're going to travel a lot. You're going to live in a lot of countries and, and um, it might be difficult. You have to move a lot. And before you end up in maybe uh, London or Paris, you're going to have to move around the world a lot. And so when I was nine years old, I said, well, I'll keep that dream, but I might find another one. So when I was 11, 
I said, well, I know what I want to do now. I, um, I want to work in hotels. Um, I'm telling you this introduction because uh, basically those two dreams are what I ended up doing in a certain way. And I even unconsciously ended up um, realizing that the, the, the first dream of becoming a sort of ambassador um, of my country by writing this book. I actually worked, as you said, um, for many years in, in, um, in, in the corporate environment. And I, um, I worked in hotels for 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 10 years for Hyatt Hotels Corporation for nine years, a director of uh, corporate communication. And I wrote my book while I was working there. Um, and without even being conscious of the fact that I was responding to uh, a childhood dream of, uh, of, in a certain way, talking about my country or representing my country. Um, but the topic of happiness and why certain countries are happier than others um, has probably always been on my mind since I was very young. I always read a lot of books, any book I could find on the topic of how do you live well and, and how is it you create this solid base of well-being where you feel good, where you feel in harmony uh, between who you are, what you think, what you say and what you do. How do you manage to get that base right and um, have the courage to follow your dreams um, and also be realistic about um, the journey and um, that we have these dreams of how things will be when we get there. But actually, what is life? It's um, the journey while you're trying to get there and not actually getting particularly where you want to get. It can create um, a sense of joy, of course, when you get there, but it's also the, the joy of, of getting there. So all these questions have always been present on my mind and in a big part of how I live and how I think and how I relate to other people. So when in 2012, um, United Nations came out with the first World Happiness Report and Denmark was again number one, uh, as it has been on many other lists, but, but this big, serious, probably the most complete report um, that has ever been made on the topic, um, I kind of had to sit down and ask, but why? Why is Denmark, I, there's many qualities that are obvious to me, but in terms of collective happiness and in terms of how we structure the country, why is it? So I started studying the topic, uh, first of all, reading the report, of course, World Happiness Report, and then buying all the books and all the information I could find. And what I noticed was the explanations are quite simple and they're actually accessible to all of us. And the second thing I noticed was that a lot of the material on, on this topic has been written by economists or um, experts, but in a language that wouldn't necessarily be accessible to somebody who never went to school or who studied very little. So I wanted to try and make a, a simple book um, that's easily read, that would give the same kind of information, but with a kind of a human voice. So I um, decided to bring myself into the book a lot and give 10 reasons of why Denmark comes out um, on top of the list uh, on, on World Happiness Report and, and on many other uh, lists. So that was kind of my journey. And I, I started writing in, in 2013. The book um, was published in 2014 and it's now translated or it, it will be translated into more than 12 languages. So it's it's been a quite... Um, magic journey. And I, I decided uh, a little more than a year ago to actually leave my job and do this full time. So I um, 
I now also do um, speeches in, in companies and I, I do some executive coaching with, um, with uh, top management to, um, to actually look at in that Danish model, you also have a management model and I have um, written a thesis that has not been um, published, but uh, on the topic of Danish management in relation to these values, what does that mean when you run or actually when you lead a company in leadership how do these um, values apply and, and why is it that the Danes are also the people expressing being the happiest at work? Um, so I looked at, at all these things and um, it ended up being um, um, a nice, well, it is because I'm in the middle of it, a nice uh, life journey. Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, before we go to the next question, uh, that I wanted to ask you, which are about these ingredients of this secret recipe. It was interesting that you mentioned about, you know, simple rules or simple um, things, uh, for lack of a better word, because I, as I told you, pre-podcast conversation, I, I, I used to work for a Danish company as well and, and traveled a lot to, to Denmark. And, and, and before kind of mentally, while I was mentally preparing for, for our conversation, I also, you know, it brought back many memories and I tried to think back and and I think that it was somehow what I would call a simple life, a simple but but a very high quality life. You know, it's, it's not, they don't, for, to me as, an, as, a, as a foreigner, it didn't seem that they would overcomplicate things, but they had very simple rules. Everybody respected those and then kind of subscribed to these maybe non-written rules. So now over to you. Um, Maybe not extensively, but but what are maybe some of the key ingredients that that you have identified or that you were able to capture in your book? Uh, as I as I said, I I identified ten ten reasons that would explain um, the the Danish model and the, the reason why people get to to live in this solid base of, of well being. That's sort of a collective feeling of actually living a happy life. Um, but the three main pillars, I would say, of the construction of a such a society or community or, or group of people, because you can apply the same rules and actually get the same result, um, would be, for me, the first would be trust. Denmark has the highest level of trust in the world. You have eight out, out of ten Danes saying that they can trust the other person, their neighbor, the stranger. And that level of trust is quite unseen. You have it in other Scandinavian countries. But if you take, for instance, a country like France, where I live, the level of trust is around 20%. Um, in many African countries, it's around five. And, and you have globally, if you look at the world, um, a quite low level of trust. Trust means that you you can actually, that's part of the explanation of the simple living, because it is less complicated of course when you trust the other person even when you don't know that person and you have images in the in, in Denmark that um, foreigners actually get quite shocked about is that you see um, the strollers with babies sleeping outside restaurants while the parents are having lunch inside and and, and and people would say but nobody's watching the babies that's crazy and you know I would answer but you know in, in a certain sense everyone is watching the babies mm -hmm. Because you have this level of, of trust and when you behave yourself as a trustworthy person and you give trust in others, that's also how you see the world. And that gives you a simple approach 
um, and a very positive approach in life. And that level of trust is actually even higher when you look at the relationship with institutions so and government. So the level of trust in institutions and government is at 84%, uh, which is, again, um, astonishingly high. And that also means that you believe in the system, you believe in the common project of the welfare state. And the fact that you believe in it and that you trust it um, is also linked to something that's particular as well in Denmark, is that Denmark has the lowest level of corruption in the world. And that touches upon something that's quite important for a country, but also if you look at corporations, the way we manage and lead is that it's showing the example. When you have low levels of corruption um, in the political um, sphere, and um, then people seem to you know, take that as a reference point. And when you have the people leading a country or leading a company, uh, showing the example and sort of um, giving setting the standard, then you have um, a better likelihood of the population actually following those examples. So low corruption, high level of trust uh, would be definitely one of the main pillars. It's linked to something quite simple um, that I always t seem to mention that's not particularly Danish, but that we can all do is that it's basically about saying what you do and doing what you say. It's a very, very simple principle and that quite a number of people find difficult to apply. It's, it's, it's being very direct and honest about what you do. And if you say something, you do it. And if you do something different, you say it. And so people kind of know where they're at and they tell people. So it's about communication as well, being transparent. Um, and I don't think that's a cultural thing. I think it's something we can decide to actually foster and cultivate um, any time, any day in any country. Um, I consider that my level of trust in France, I live in Paris, um, is the same as in Denmark. I have a, um, a community of, of trust in, in, in Paris that I constructed. I would say that my level of trust is 80%, like in Denmark, mm. because I cultivated, because I work on it, because I decided that that's how I want to live, also in a country that has a different base. Mm. So that would be the first um, pillar. The second pillar is linked to what I call the freedom to be you. Now, it's a little bit of a vague concept probably to people because they would think, but I'm free to be me. I live in a, you know, in a democracy and, 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 you know, I, but how free are we really to choose our lives? You know, how much are we influenced by uh, the system, the norms, um, what you should be, what you shouldn't be, um, the parents as well. So in Denmark, um, the main <clears throat> purpose of the educational system is to develop the personality of the child. So they would seem to seek to value all talents equally. So if you're good at mechanics, if you're a creative person, if you're good at cooking, if you're good at sports, music, they would value those talents just as much as intellectual talents. In most school systems around the world, the intellectual talents are valued much higher mm -hmm. than manual talents. And in a certain sense, those who are good at the intellectual um, subjects, they might do okay, but all those students or children who have other talents, they feel that 
that might not be valued as much if you're manual in a society. And then you get um, to a place where people who might not be, they, their path might not be to force themselves to be good at math or languages, but they would have been amazing creative people and they could have had an amazing uh, role in society being a creative human being or just being good with humans and value that role. So the Danish system would encourage people to be themselves and value that talent that children have inside of them. So the likelihood of you actually ending up living your life and not just a life is much higher. And that base is very, very precious in terms of how you choose who you're going to be and how you become actually very close to being who you're supposed to be in the first place. There's a second um, explanation to that is that almost 75% of young Danes leave their home at 18 years old um, to take their independence because Denmark um, – has a free educational system, and they actually pay the students to study. They pay them um, approximately 760 euros per month. And this money, you get it independently of your parents' income. So there's a whole redistribution of the cards um, for every young person because the likelihood of you ending up being a lawyer, if you're the son of a lawyer or a son of a carpenter, are the same in, in terms of, if, 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 if you will, if the, if the student or the child have the same talents, etc. But it's not linked to where you come from. So social mobility is very high. And you can actually choose what you want to be in life. And parents have a lesser possibility of influencing or projecting their ambitions on their children. So we see a pattern where many parents, they want to, they want the best for their children, but there is nothing more valuing or to a parent than seeing their child maybe become a mini-me or uh, doing the same thing as, as ourselves, um, but that might not necessarily be the right path for that child. So you have this um, higher um, degree of freedom to actually choose to be you. Yeah. Um, and that's very precious. And, and you see also in corporations, in terms of management, the fact that we don't impose so many rules on the employees in Denmark and that they're quite free to be themselves, it releases a high level of productivity, creativity, and innovation because all of the energy people spend on being somebody else, it goes lost. And so when you when you can be yourself and actually go and, 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 and seek all that creativity, innovation, thinking out of the box, um, and spend your energy on actually doing things, um, you see a higher level of, of productivity, engagement, innovation, creativity in, in companies. Um, so uh, the freedom to be you and, and actually understanding the difference of valuing people for what they do and valuing them for who they are. There's a huge difference. The, the, the management system that we globally found in that, that you see around the world is that um, if it's good, we value people for what they do. So we give them bonuses, we do evaluations, we do a year-end um, um, performances, yeah. and they value people for what they do. And so people for a long time said, oh, that's wonderful, at least I get some kind of feedback and, and you know, I know I'm doing a good job. But in, actually in order to move um, um, a system from an exchange of brain, hands, and money you get paid 
you give me your brain and you give me your hands, you know, whatever that job is you need to do, uh, and you want to engage the heart, um, that's where you get the real engagement from people and you really have magic start happening. Um, that's when people uh, want to stay in companies, they want to fight for them, they want to engage. They want to engage and they want to. And this is when in management, you understand the difference between valuing people for what they do and for who they are. If you can do both, that's where the magic starts happening. If you if you start using empathy, seeing who people really are, seeing what's underneath, you decide you ask people to do and fill out a role professionally. If you also make room to actually see who that person is beyond what they do for you, then um, you get a whole new level of engagement and um, and energy for the, for those people, productivity. So that's the second uh, pillar. The third pillar is what I call the individual responsibility for the common project. I touched upon it um, briefly. It's basically the fact that in Denmark, which is the highest taxed country in the world, you have seven out of 10 Danes saying that they're quite happy to pay the taxes. You even have 12% saying that they would pay more. Um, that's very high. And the explanation is that people feel individually responsible for the common project. They feel part of the system, not victims of the system. They don't feel that it's 100% the fault of any prime minister or president or minister the way they live. They also feel individually responsible for this project because they feel that it's a project with purpose and meaning. So the fact that um, when you ask the Danes what are they most proud of, the welfare state is one of the top things. People are quite proud to be part of a system where there's social mobility, where everyone can go to school, no matter where you come from, you can do, and that have a high level of trust, um, that we build a society where people have work-life balance, where people, men, are, in a certain sense, I say that we have, of course, worked on liberating women and, and, and you know, working on gender equality, et cetera. And there uh, has been a lot of work to be done and there's still a lot of work to be done, but there's something that we forgot um, on the way is that if we don't manage to free the man at the same time from his traditional role, the system might actually fall. And what we're seeing in certain Latin countries is that women has they've now been free to uh, you know, of course, go out and work and have careers, etc. But since freeing up um, and liberating the man has not taken place, women get to do all the stuff at home, and then they get to work. And then you see people burning out and have being having extreme high levels of trust and not trust, stress uh, and burnout and and divorce rates because you got to have some kind of balance um, in that system where. Men can also leave at early at work to pick up the kids or um, actually say, I want to take a, a couple of, of weeks or months off um, when my child is born. And, and so that you've seen also uh, in Denmark as part of, of, of um, that system of, of creating a society where everyone is free, not only to be themselves, but also to choose their roles. Um, if you're a man and you say, I want to take time off to take care of, of, of my little baby, that's okay. If you're a man and you say, um, I'm going to leave at four today to pick up my child, 
that's okay um, if you're a man and you're not super ambitious because you actually want to have work-life balance, that's okay as well. And so by freeing also the role of the man, you actually liberate um, women as well, so you create um, a better a better balance. Fantastic. Uh, I mean, there are so many um, incredibly insightful um, uh, aspects and thoughts to what you just laid out, but, but I mean, it totally resonates with also what we believe in and, and our motto is, you know, breaking the mold, uh, breaking this ideal worker mold. And, and we always say, you know, that companies and organizations need to allow and empower people to bring their whole selves to work. Absolutely. So we absolutely believe in this. And, and also what you said uh, in, your, in your first point, um, you know, having run now a group of, of female entrepreneurs, female founders with about 400, over 400 women, very, very often, women, when they decide um, to become an entrepreneur, to start something on themselves, they, they have a pivotal moment when they decide, well, you know, I studied this because my parents, you know, pushed me more into this career or because this was what was expected of me, my family. And now I'm going to fulfill my long dream. For some of them, it's sometimes too late <laughs> you know who would like to become a dancer or you know these kind of careers unfortunately but but it's it's so true what you said that it's so important from a very very young age to be able to be true to yourself because that's when you can understand your talents and when your talents are in groove with your passion and your opportunities that's when you can really flourish exactly i i i agree it, it seems to give a very healthy and, and solid base of actually building a life. You, I, I think w what I've observed is that, you know, no matter what, we have ups and downs and we're always in the middle of dealing with some kind of an issue or a problem yeah. or a situation, whether it's health or it's work or it's our, the apartment or something that's broken. So, you know, sometimes when people don't see, if, if they're not, if that base is not good, um, when you talk about happiness and, you know, the, the most frequently asked question people ask me, of course, when you write a book about this is, are you happy? Oh. <laughs> and, and it's such a, <laughs> it's such a simple question, but the, the, the answer is of course, um, complex because it's, there are so many shades and, and, and the fact that somebody would think that you're happy all the time is it's untrue. Um, what you can do in my view is that you can build a base of well-being, being good with what you are, that harmony between what you are, what you think in your head, what you say out loud, and what you end up doing. If you're pretty much aligned on that one, you have what I call a good, healthy base of well-being. Sometimes then you'll have, and that capacity of actually um, living good moments, joy, happiness, is something that you can work on uh, with your consciousness of, of having positive thoughts. And you can't um, do the whole positive psychology and remove every bad moment or every uh, bad emotion or negative emotion because those belong as well in our universe but you can practice your mind in and actually noticing the little things in life and that goes back to the danish model of simple living actually being able to appreciate and it sounds maybe um too 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 easy or it's you know it's easy to pr appreciate the free and simple things in life 
uh, when you go for a walk, the sun is shining today in Paris. It's very cold. So uh, my focus is that the sunlight and it's, it's sunny and it, the light is, is beautiful. And I've already said this to myself several times since I woke up this morning. And I also practiced um, this whole concept. It's become a fashion phenomenon um, of hygge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, it's something that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't consciously have defined it if somebody else hadn't done it. <laughs> and actually, several people have done it. That there are about I think seven or eight books out on on hygge. Hygge is um, a way that Danes connect with each other and connect with themselves. So it's basically a social um, way of being together, but it can also be a way of being. T- being with yourself. Uh, Hygge is about creating a warm, um, cozy atmosphere uh, with candlelights, with um, comfortable uh, clothes, so that you feel nice, comfortable, warm in a nice, cozy lightning. Uh, Usually it would involve people drinking hot chocolate or tea or coffee and being together, maybe eating cakes or whatever they would be eating. And... um, all those things, I would say that uh, they're they're not random, but it, it, it's uh, you do that in many cultures, maybe. So, and also because it's it's cold in Scandinavia, you might do it a little bit more because we we get to spend a lot of time inside. But what's really really uh, interesting about Hugo is that we don't reserve coziness for Sunday nights mm. or special occasions. We do it every day. So you would have. Um, this morning I had about 30 minutes of, of, of hygge where I had candles on. And you sort of take time to just sit and connect either with yourself or with other people. And so you don't have your iPhone. You don't have disturbing objects. And actually what the Danes do when they do hygge, they try to connect on the things that we have in common. And so by focusing on connecting with other people on a positive level where you link the things that you have in common, and you don't solve conflicts in these forums. Um, You create a space where you recharge your batteries and you slow down. So I call it the slow time of actually breathing, connecting, putting, you know, the fast, quick world on hold for a while and just being there, being in the present moment. So that's um, uh, one of the things that that we practice as a, as a population, uh, you don't think about it in Denmark. I, I, I define it now all the time because people ask me, uh, but I wouldn't have defined what I do in the morning or what I do when I get home from work or well, now I, I work home, but when I, when I come home from a, a meeting or I want to sit down, I take that little pause of hygge time. Um, and I think it's certainly something you, I mean, again, I don't live in Denmark anymore, so I would say that you could definitely export it even if you're not Danish or you don't live in Denmark. Now, also what you just said just before about <clears throat> happiness, and um, I also wanted to maybe just explore this this question with you about uh, our, our freedom to define what happiness or what success looks to us right is is not to take a kind of a cookie cutter approach to so everybody wants to become a billionaire and drive um lamborghinis you know and so that's the gap between our dream and and our reality can be incredibly frustrating then so so to be able to take this liberty to define success for you even if it's not about a lot of money or if it's not about 
this or that but but to say well i'm actually very happy not earning that much and being more with my friends or my hobby or investing myself in in my craft or you know all these um i think we see more and more kind of consciousness around that but but what you just said really defines that for me is is you know connecting in the present and being mindful and and having this kind of um uh, flow feeling is, is is when there's no gap between what you want and what is they're, they're the same it, it, it it's i think it's it's leading a successful life uh for me or having success in life is actually leading a life that corresponds to who you are it's certainly not about how much money you have or how much power you have or if you're famous or if you're uh, beautiful or it, i mean there are a lot of um illusions about what will make us happy there is um there's also a huge confusion between pleasure and happiness um the things that we take joy in doing um as if you say, oh, if I had a lot of money, I would buy a yacht. Well, that's possible, but that would might give you a certain amount of, of joy or or pleasure. But will that really make you happy? Is it going to work on your base of, of, of well-being? I don't think so. And, and, you know, the studies that have been made on these topics show that it won't. And it's also linked to what we call the hedonistic threat mill. So mm. once we get things that we think we want, um, we adapt to them and then we want more. So all of these topics, being it beauty, being it money, being it power, being it fame, um, the, um, that, that matter is true to them. So you, you get there and then you want more. Uh, you're famous, you want to be more famous. Or you, so it's, it's, um, you can't really, you won't ever get there and it won't ever give you that happiness that you think it will, uh, or at least it, it won't last. Um, so, so those things are actually out and, and that leaves you with you. It leaves you with who you are and being true to that person and actually trying to navigate the best possible way and trusting life when you're true to who you are it seems that life actually leads you the right in the right direction it's it's you know even now i've chosen to do something that i really want to do and i feel passionate about it and i feel that there's a, a purpose in it i I like talking about these matters. I like going out in big corporations. I had um, last night 300 uh, engineers sitting in front of me and, and they come and, you know, all the feedback I had um, several emails this morning from people that sat in the, in the room and, and they say, you know, thank you for saying that or that inspired me in this and that way. And so knowing that you can just inspire one person makes it worth the whole journey. Mm. But even when you do what you want to do, um, you're in, in harmony with, with, with who you are and what you want, and, and then you feel a sense of purpose, it's difficult. Of course it's hard, yeah. because, no, but it is. That's the truth. Yeah. It, 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 it never gets easy, but it feels good. It, it, so, it's, so you have days where you're going to like, oh, I wonder where this is going to go. I quit this amazing corporate job that, you know, I had my mm. fixed salary. But, but you, when you have a sense of, first of all, purpose to yourself, why am I doing this? And you have also a sense of higher purpose, meaning that you actually feel that you contribute. You contribute to potentially making the world a better place by talking about some of these values, being true to yourself, creating societies of trust, taking individual responsibility for the world we live in, be the change you would like to see in the world. All of these messages that are important to me. And if I think that I can even inspire one person or get a community going around these values 
being 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 it sourced from Denmark or not, you know, again, I think they're not Danish values. I think in reality, they're human values and, and you see them all over the world. So, but that sense of, of meaning, um, there's a, um, a great uh, Austrian psychiatrist called Viktor Frankl, who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he talks about, you know, when you, his book is about, he went to the concentration camps and what is it that make people survive when you're in a concentration camp, the most extreme form of meaninglessness. What is it that make people survive? Because it's not the ones with the most muscles that survive. And he found two things. He found that the people that survive are the people that have purpose in life. The people that had purpose in life survived the camp. And the people that had the ability to connect with themselves so they, they, they didn't spend the whole full time in the camp. They could actually go inside and be warm. And so I think when you, when you in, in extreme conditions, and, and, and if you take that to the way we lead our lives today, no matter what happens, we say today that 50% of our happiness is linked to genetics. So it's your personality, what you're given when you're born. So you can't do much about that that's sort of maybe the genetic lottery. Mm -hmm. And then 40% is what you do with it. So it's how you relate. And um, Viktor Frankl talks about this as well. It's the most, it's the only freedom, the only real freedom that man has is to decide how he relates to things, to things that happens to him. And, and that those 40% is actually what we do with uh, our lives, what we do with the base that we're given. So you have 40, 40% is a lot. And it's only 10% linked, happiness is only 10% linked to what happens to us. And most people think that their happiness is linked to what, 100% to what happens to them. But I have no luck, but this and that happened to me. I lost my job. I did this, I did that, and life did this. And it's always the exterior elements that would um, decide if we're happy or not happy. Mm. And in reality, it's only 10%. So the 40% is what you do with it. And that's a lot. And you can do a lot with those 40%. If you um, if you find a way to relate to what happens in your life in the right manner, absolutely, we have a lot more control over our own happiness and our own success um, than we we maybe think. Actually, well, Marlene, you have certainly really really inspired me, um, and I'm sure also all the listeners as well have been very very inspired listening to you. Um, now, unfortunately, time always goes way too quickly on the podcast. We <laughs> seem to enter some kind of time warp here. So before we go to the last question, may I ask you to tell listeners your website? Uh, when is your book coming out? Uh, where they can find you, contact you? Absolutely. Um, so my, my book was um, published in English in, uh, in the U.S. Uh, last week. So you can find it on uh, Amazon, for instance. It's called Happy as a Dane and in bookstores. Uh, it's coming out in the uh, United Kingdom in March. And it comes out in Germany in March as well and in Spain in April. Um, you can go on my website on www.melenareidel, that's M-A-L-E-N-E-R-Y-D-A-H-L.com. 
Um, and you can also check me out on social media. Um, my first name and my last name, Melina Rydell on Twitter. Um, Melina Rydell, happy as a Dane on Facebook. Um, and that's it. That's, that's about it. That's where you can get me. Great. Um, so coming to the last question, which is, is always the same here on the Work Life podcast. If um, I could ask you to give one advice to a CEO to improve the well-being of his or her employees or, or create maybe more favorable conditions for them to, to thrive, what would be your advice? There are many, of course, and I think, uh, I mean, the three pillars that I work around are trust, the freedom to be you, and the sense of purpose. So I, I think uh, showing the example for a CEO to actually know the purpose of the company on an individual uh, basis, but also on, um, on a higher level, why are we doing this? What is the purpose of the company? Not only to sell products, but what's the higher purpose? What's the contribution? You know, when you get up in the morning and you go every day and, you know, but how are we contributing to the world? I think that question needs to be answered by any CEO. And I think if I may give two. Yes, yes. <laughs> I flexible that, that way. <laughs> that what I've experienced in, in both in the corporations I've worked with is that one of the reasons why we don't get there is that if you as a company, as a corporation, you only work on formulating the higher purpose of the company, you make it intellectual, and people, the barrier is actually to be found in the fact that sometimes people don't know their own purpose. If you haven't done that work on an individual, personal basis, it's actually impossible for you to take in, and when I say take in, it's like engaging in and feeling with your heart um, the purpose of a company. So um, the experience has been that if you take the time to actually offer to your uh, management team and even go lower down, um, the possibility of working on their own personal purpose, um, defining their own personal value system, what are the most dominant values in their lives? What are the rules to those values? How do I navigate in life? When I say trust, what do I mean? And actually being more conscious personally about how you operate, how you navigate in life so that you can better give people recipes and warnings on when I say trust, this is what I mean, so that we're more conscious and that we communicate better and that we know what our own value system is, our own purpose. And in that way, you can relate to the purpose of the company in a much more um, emotional and honest way where you can actually really engage in it. So there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't agree more. Well, thank you very much, Malin, for coming on the podcast, taking the time um, and, and for being really, really inspiring. Um, thank you, Agnes. Best of success, Malin, with the book coming out um, in Europe uh, and also, of course, with the book in, in the US. And I just, I just really wish you... Um, all the opportunities for you to bring this message to as many people as possible. Thank you so much, Agnes, and thank you for um, giving me the time to, to talk to you here. <laughs> <laughs>